our agent Marty Baum said, look, if you guys want to just go make a film and be totally left alone, there are two new guys in town. Menachem Golden and Yoram Globus were the heavyweights. They were the George Foremans and the Muhammad Ali's of the indie market. Canon is the only company who loves cinema. Cinema is our life. Yoram Globus was the businessman behind the movie making. Where is my money? You promise and promise and promise and you're not paying. Menachem Golan was the movie maker. Menachem, I cannot do it. I'm dying. He said, you know, do it and then die. I just had in my head what movie producers should be, and Menachem just didn't quite fit that picture. He redubbed me with an American voice, but not a voice similar to mine. A true ninja doesn't kill. He eliminates, and only for defensive purposes. He's so not ninja. I don't know. I've never seen a ninja. They were the forerunners of the Weinsteins. The difference is the Weinsteins cared about quality. Sometimes we make better films, sometimes we, we don't make such good films, but we do make films. One of my first questions was, how much money do you think you'll be spending on it? And they said, oh, probably $10 million. I think they ended up spending about $3.75 on it. They were considered schlockmeisters. It's schlock, but they sure do make a lot of it. The name of the game is to do, not just to blah, 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 blah. Talk about it. <laughs> Everything we got would go in two piles for the two Chucks, Bronson and Norris. It could have been Wuthering Heights, which one is for Chuck and which one is for the other Chuck. The audience wasn't prepared for the craziness, looniness. Ninja 3 The Domination managed to take The Exorcist, a ninja movie, and combine it with Flashdance. Guys, really? I mean, that's insane. Sylvester Stallone showed up and he pointed up to Dolph. He goes, he gave that guy lines? This is our fight. I don't want innocent people to die. I felt a little stupid doing it. Why the orangutan came to the office, Menachem's deciding whether to sign the orangutan to put him under contract. It was crazy. Talking to a monkey. This would be an epic of cinema. Blockbuster of the century. Oh, God. We are in so much trouble. And that's why they put a stamp on pop culture. It's hard to say it. Who wears canon films without laughing? At the end of the movie, I had tears in my eyes. And then Achim, he says, Aha, I got you. I was crying because I saw my career going down the toilet and I didn't know what I was going to do next. It was almost like a bowel movement. You make a movie. It comes out, you flush it, and you move on to another one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. And what are we looking at this week? We're going to look at the documentary Electric Boogaloo, which is uh, focusing on canon films, which a good majority of Charles Bronson's films in his later days, that's where they came from. And I'm joined again by two super special guests, uh, Chase and Bryce. Guys, say hello. Hello, I'm Chase. And I'm Bryce. That's hello. Uh, Chase Austin and Bryce Perkins. And uh, they are hosts of the Movie Gap podcast, which I have been on several times. And they are returning the favor and being on my podcast. And, uh, and we're talking about uh, Electric Boogaloo, the, the what, Golan and Globus. Uh, what were their, fr- I don't remember their first names. You guys remember their first names? Yeah, I have the thing. It's uh, Menahem Golan, Menahem, Menahem Golan, and then uh, I don't see Gore. Uh, 
Yo, it was Yolen or something like that with a Yolen, Y. Yolen Golan. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah, maybe not. Yolen. Well, no, it was Menahem Golan, and then the other guy's name was I don't know. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's Golan Yoram. It's Yoram. Yoram. It's Yoram. Yoram. That's it. Yeah. Yoram. Uh, and we're never going to mention them by first names again. They're just going to be Golan and Globus. Nope. And this is how uh, Canon Films came to be, and initially, and then eventually became not to be. Uh, so I had seen this before. It it's been a, a few years. I think it was uh, it was like recommended to me on Amazon or something like that. I found it. Uh, I watch a lot of uh, film documentaries and. Uh, I found this one, you know, just one Saturday afternoon. I had nothing to watch, and I threw this on, and it blew me away. Um, at the time, I did not I, – I knew a bunch of the movies that they talk about, but, like, I, had, I didn't know that they all came from the same place uh, or anything like that. So I learned a lot. And then uh, – but, yeah, like I said, that was a few years ago, and then when we were going to do this podcast, I just watched it again. And I got to say, I enjoyed it even more if not the same the, uh, the second time it's it's just a fantastic documentary so and uh, i had not seen it oh you had no I, I it was a, extremely interesting um i enjoyed it a lot uh i learned a lot uh, i had no idea about canon films or any of that i didn't know that death wish was a can or death wish 2 and and beyond i guess but I didn't know that those were associated with Canon Films. I didn't know that, you know, Deanna Troy had any association with it. Like it's a, a lot of, uh, or a couple of, you know, like um, Bill from Bill and Ted uh, did some Canon Films and stuff. Yeah. I had no idea about any of this stuff. And it was a really interesting look into the business side of it and where you can kind of go right with it and also go wrong um, and how it's like, and how it's done. And apparently these guys did, if I'm, if I learned correctly, these guys kind of changed the market a little bit with how you sell movies and stuff sort of on accident, just because of like how they, how they did business. They would like make a poster and then sell the movie based on the poster instead of rather than like actually having a movie. And, and well, a lot of people do that nowadays. Yeah, I guess. That, had been, that had been a thing before it was sort of them coming back with it. Cause like, that was sort of like, uh, like post, B movie like the B movies were like they, they're called B movies because they were the B build movie on when, yeah uh, when the studio like back in the golden age of, of Hollywood the studio system they would uh, the studios actually owned uh, the distribution chains like so Paramount owned its own theaters and yeah. what they would do is they would make uh, you know an A picture with a big budget that had the big stars and then they would have a B picture that that they double build it with like cat people or um, you know plan nine from outer space or something like that that was made on a very low budget more of a genre type uh, film where the plot wasn't as important as like the scares or the uh, you know the 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 subject matter I should say. yeah and those uh, those went on until the studio system was you know they labeled it a monopoly basically and it was a they busted them up uh, so mm. they couldn't because it was a vertical integration. Uh, or no horizontal integration because they made it. They you know, they hired the actors. They made the product. They uh, then paid to like put out the product in their own thing. You know it was all a monopoly sort of hmm. thing, and they broke that up. And then that started to change in the late fifties, 
and then you got like your drive-ins and your grindhouse and that kind of uh, exploitation films, which are, these are similar to as well. Um, and that's kind of how those were made. Mm-hmm. You know, they would be uh, they would be bought like those were paid for by who was going to show them, not by who was going to distribute them. So it is different, but it's still like that was the idea of like, oh, we have this movie and this poster and it's going to show at this drive in, uh, you know, in two, you know, in two months or whatever, make a movie that matches that. So with with this, it was we'll buy that movie to distribute it ourselves. And so it's kind of the same thing, but it's kind of different. If that I makes see. any sense, did I clear anything up? <laughs> yes, I have a completely clear understanding of how the history of the Hollywood business now. Yeah, but yeah, so they they kind of reinvented it by doing the same thing. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, and I remember when we talked uh, Death Proof. I mean, I said it again, uh, Death yeah. Wish. Uh, you know, I I mentioned I when did Death Wish become a canon? Uh, uh, franchise or like when did they get the you know the rights to it and it turns out it was since the second one yeah yeah right yeah no it was their big uh oh no <laughs> my battery's dying um that was their big uh explosion onto onto the scene or whatever uh why don't y'all keep going i'm gonna go grab my power cord real quick okay so gotcha. that my okay. computer doesn't die all, all right, right. We'll tell you, you don't even need to come back, Chase. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I did my part. You did. <laughs> uh, yeah, Death Wish 2 was their big get at the time uh, to get uh-huh. Charles Bronson. I was surprised at how much of their early stuff was really soft porn, soft core porn. I was, yeah, I was noticing that lots of nudity, uh, uh, lots of uh, films with nudity in them were being talked about early on in this documentary. Uh, and not just nudity, but vast amounts of nudity and, and erotic si- scenes. And, like and simulated was, sex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. With, yeah, with, uh, with stars. Uh, they weren't, you know, they weren't the, the biggest they were at that time, but these were people who were stars at one time in these movies. They were names, yeah. They were names, yes. Yeah, it was pretty crazy that they... Um, I guess they, I don't know, I guess it was their uh, charisma or something. The the fact that they were able to convince these these people to do these movies, I guess on a promise that like, you know, hey, we're going to, it's going to be big. We're going to make you a star. And then, you know, clearly that didn't really work out for most well, of the movies. Uh, to me, it sort of had an Ed Wood, Bella Lugosi feel where Ed Wood took Bella Lugosi yeah. in at the end of his career and gave him movies. Now, granted, these movies were on a bigger scale. And these actors were actually, uh, some of these actors were actually getting paid, like Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris, and then eventually Sylvester Stallone. These guys all came over to Canon, and they were all getting paid, which they and say in the of... documentary led to their downfall. They got away from inexpensive movies, big profits. Now they, want, they, they got full of themselves, and they wanted to actually go toe-to-toe with with paramount and all them and they, they yeah. just right well and it kind of started uh actors getting paid more like that was one of the reasons that they got uh the Stallone to do a Stallone, movie yeah. is that they were paying him so much and like now he's like well i could do this movie that you know isn't necessarily great but i get paid a whole bunch more than if i do a movie for mgm so like then they had to start paying more right I mean, they really upset the whole system. Right. They did. And, right. Uh, yeah. It's sort of along the lines but, uh, of what's I... happening now in the NFL with quarterbacks. 
It's like they they play, you know, they pay this one quarterback an ungodly amount of money. Now they've opened the flood doors with every quarterback right. that has talent that comes now they that they have to pay more. So it's along those lines. Yeah. But while, while you're yeah, out definitely. in the room, Chase, we were talking about how Canon's a lot of Canon's movies starting off were like softcore porn. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was gonna say I hope I didn't miss all the booby talk. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, did. The, but we're, we're getting yeah, back they, into it. And like, you. if you watch a lot of those, like they uh, it they cut. I mean, when they're showing those clips in this movie, it's like boobs on boobs on boobs on. Boobs. Yeah, and you're like, where's the plot line? And it yeah. does get lost in in a lot of those movies where uh, and, and they even talk about it with like Death Proof and like the difference between how that Death was Wish shot. Death first, Wish not Death Wish <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> Uh, Death Wish, how like that was shot, you know, it was brutal and there was nudity and it was violent, but it wasn't for the sake of showing boobies and showing violence, you know, like that's all that these movies were really putting on the table. Um, and uh, they, uh, I mean, they, some of these movies are unwatchable because it's just, uh, it's just ham fisted in there. And they like, they cut so much of these movies up, like that the, they cut a lot of like, plot and storyline to add more boobies right you know especially in the earlier ones well the, there was one scene of a of a, one of the movies they were showing where it was two women fencing yeah and they were fully clothed head to toe except their titties were out yeah you know so it's yeah. like oh my god dude like could you like could you be more on the nose about you know what you're doing with these women here you know that's just it's pretty uns- wild man it's just unsafe I, exactly exactly uh but, well that um, was uh one of those women, a, one of those uh women was the woman who went to play troy on star trek eventually I yeah think. marina marina sirtis or yeah. Cerritus yes. or whatever and she talked about being on death wish three with, yeah uh, with michael winner she basically said i had to lie there there was she was a, in a rape scene and she goes i had to lie there on this dirty mattress and they between takes they wouldn't let me cover up michael was a pathologically brutal strange sadistic insecure egotistical character he seems to have used his job as a director to frankly abuse people they always seem to call for me if things have to be blown up people have to be killed raped or shot you see i don't know why they call for a nice charming chap like me We're shooting in a leaky garage, the brain's coming in through the roof, and I'm lying naked. He wouldn't even let me get up. He wanted me to lie there to be lit, and I was freezing. And the director of photography came and put his coat on me, and Winner screamed at him to get the coat off. How is he supposed to light me? Completely illegal by union standards and total sadism. Mike would say to the special effects man, where's a good place for me to be, John? And the crew used to say, in the back of the car, Mike. I think that he was in a way the perfect Canon director because Canon was this weird bubble and everybody in it had this sort of wink and a nod and we do love the movies but we want to make money and we don't care about your work conditions or the quality of the product and it's kind of a weird carnival. It was like movies are an unreal environment at the best of times and the Canon movies were like that times a hundred. I don't know. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, you know, behind the curtain of like how, how a lot of these movies were made and, 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 um, you know, kind of the culture of the industry uh, back then, and, you know, especially, I guess, in the 70s and 80s when they kind of started getting more adventurous and what you could show in movies. So they started doing more things. 
uh, it seems like um, it was kind of a dangerous time to want to be an actor. You know, you had to kind of be careful about who you were trusting. Well, and, you know, they didn't they didn't get into uh, anything about like unions and stuff. But I wonder, like, if they were even shooting union films or if they were going behind union backs, because a lot of it was pretty guerrilla or uh, and I say the guerrilla. Yeah. The guerrilla yeah. style guerrilla. where um, like it doesn't seem like they had like a full crew or like, you know, Teamster, like, you know, there's with, with you're working on a union picture. It's everybody has their specific job, you know, and there's stand ins and there's rules that have to be followed for actors and all that kind of stuff. And this seems like, you know, uh, pretty much on the level of just like those no budget movies that uh, get made like asylum films or, um, you know, that a lot of them that film out here in, in Texas, because we do have a, a right to work state like they don't have to follow the union if they're under a million dollars or some shit like that. And uh, so I wonder, like, how much of that was involved with it, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't really get into that in the in the uh, documentary. They also uh, didn't have stunt doubles, so a lot of actors were doing their own stunts. Yeah, which yeah. is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. They didn't even have a stunt crew, like yeah, they, or a choreographer, like, a stunt choreographer. Yeah, it's just like okay, you're going to roll out of this truck, roll down the side, and uh, these were actors who were not equipped to do this. Yeah, they did talk about um, uh, Charles Bronson having his stunt double because he was like, I'm not even I'm not doing any of it. <laughs> like, yeah. this is I don't want to. I'm not like he had the guy throw the gr- groceries at the car. Yeah, because he didn't want to get hit by this fucking car. Well, it's yeah. like what uh, what a- Alex Winter said. He was like, yeah, he didn't really act uh, at that much. They had him. Um, they Drove him from his trailer to the set in a giant limousine, which was about three feet that that they drove him just to get to the set. Like he was basically there just to collect the money and go home. I mean, he clearly didn't have any respect for the movie that was being made. He did not want to be doing them still. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he wasn't getting any other jobs. Right. And like, you know, you got that money like backed up on your lawn. What are you going to do? Right. It's just so wild to see behind the curtain of the business side of it and realize how much of a commodity movies really are and and how how much business plays into them being made and stuff it's not something you really you you ever really think about but yeah it's like these these are real people that are basically just like you know give me the money and i'll do it or i can command this much money because i have star power like the economy of how it works i never really considered the practical side of it yeah uh and it kind of it really showed a lot of that like you know with charles bronson just being like well you know you want me because I'm a star, but I'd rather be doing something else, but I need the money. It's all money, 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 you know, um, which is just kind of, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. It kind of made it seem, it makes it seem like it's uh well, I mean, they, they did say that Canon ran their uh, studio like a factory, you know? Well, they, um, they keep referring to like how uh, Golan and uh, what's his name? Uh, how much they love movies and like they had this fascination with movies ever since they were kids and all that and it's like they don't really like movies like right. not it's not an artistic aspect of it right you know? uh, they just like the it's almost like they like the idea of movies more than making something that's worth having yeah or worth yeah. seeing even. Toby Hooper I was surprised to see oh, yeah. uh, had a lot to do with with Canon films there and I guess he pissed off uh Manaham or whatever well he did he did most of his films or some, well two of his like 
bigger later ones because uh, one of the huge ones that he did was Life Force, uh-huh. which uh, is uh, if you want to talk about nudity, the the oh yeah, that's the space. one they were showing, right? Yeah. Where it was that girl that was just basically naked the whole time? Yeah, and she's uh, a vampire, and these alien vampires are naked, and so she's bombing around uh, London just naked, yeah. the whole time. It, they like shaved her. Uh, did they talk about it in this movie or was it something else that I was watching where they talked about how they shaved her privates? Yeah. Uh, and then they realized they couldn't get through sensors with her walking around with no pubic hair. Yeah. So then they had to keep going through different Merkins for her to where <laughs> like they had to keep getting bigger and then they would get it. They would get so big that they were like, well, now that's obscene. And so they had to get like a smaller <laughs> Merkin. So like if you watch the movie, her pubic hair changes throughout the. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But that one has uh, they didn't mention it in this, but he uh, Patrick Stewart's in that movie. I was going to say, I thought I noticed the silhouette of Patrick Stewart yeah, in a, in one of those cuts. It's like they... first movies. Wow. So, so you had pet, you had uh, Picard and Troy. Yeah. Yeah. Associated with canon films, um, there's so many people time. that were associated with with canon. They've done a canon well, see, film. It's how of, um, Chuck Norris got into films. Basically, dude, I didn't realize that he. So was he? Was his the start of his career was through those canon? Uh, well, no, films he did that, no, no. He did that film with uh, Bruce Lee. Well, yeah, but he was well, doing what, films. He wanted to do his own thing, and so that's why he went to canon. One of the most interesting things about the Chuck Norris is the missing in action movies all came from canon. And what they did was mm-hmm. they filmed the first one and it was terrible. They fil- And then they filmed the sequel. They filmed them back to back. They filmed the first one and then they filmed the sequel. And the sequel was directed by a guy named Joe Zito, who's he dire- he's directed, you know, quite a bunch of stuff. He's actually a very good director. And missing in action two was better than missing in action one. So they reversed it yeah. and they put missing, they put missing in action to, and they put in the beginning because that's why he was in Vietnam. Um, mm. So they reversed it and put the good one out first. So they wouldn't ruin the franchise by putting out a bad movie first. So they knew they had, yeah. Crap, yeah. but they were still going to show it. Yeah. Cause you can't make any money if you don't, put it out which is what happened to them when they were like that journey of the journey to the center of the earth one yeah. or whatever where they got like they got it all kind of filmed but they're like there's no special effects and yeah like, well you don't have special effects money finish it yeah and yeah like, you can't not have this movie come right out. the same thing happened with uh because that was right at the end that was uh with uh masters of the universe mm-hmm. which i have seen many times mm-hmm. that is a delightful bad movie it, yeah. yeah oh it is like I, I love. Or when I was a kid, I loved He Man. Like I thought He Man was pretty cool. Uh-huh. I had a bunch of the figures and stuff. And the that movie has almost nothing to do with the He Man cartoon. Of course, it's very different. Uh, a young um, uh, Courtney Cox is mm-hmm. the lead oh, wow. in that movie. It takes place. So He Man has nothing to do with Earth. This movie does. Uh, it's like they go back. He gets sucked to Earth. It, it's all insane. But they ran out of movie like that, or they ran out of money. That was the one that put them uh, in the bankruptcy, uh-huh. and they ran out of money, and they had to release it. So they didn't have an ending. They didn't finish the big final sword fight. Uh-huh. So they had to make it where all the lights went out. And they just had them on a in a empty soundstage, so it's all black, and they're just fighting with these light swords. Oh the wow! To get a to get a finish to that movie. Wow. Yeah, it it was right. It was that and uh, the 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 Superman quest for peace. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna ask about that. Um, how much of a? I mean, it looked like a total piece of shit, but 
did that movie kill is that the one when whenever we um i believe like one of the last times you were on scott on our podcast i should say you and chase got to talking about supermans and and i think you were saying that you don't even count superman four right what happened with superman four is it started with a big budget and canon kept taking Mm -hmm. money from superman four to give to other movies and eventually it got down they go we can make superman four for 30 million dollars and eventually it got down to 17 million dollars so they basically cut the budget in half and they're saying we can't make we can't make the movie that you want for 17 million dollars and that's why it looks awful and to put things in perspective over the top the arm wrestling movie that was 25 million dollars that cost almost ten million dollars more than Superman four, and there's no spec. And that was a yeah. lot to do with uh, Stallone's paycheck. Yeah, yeah, and Superman is he's denuclearizing the world. He's fighting a, a another superhuman who is made of nuclear power, and that movie cost ten million dollars less than a movie that's just two guys holding hands. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Over the Top is also on my list of terrible, awesome movies. What are the odds on Lincoln Hawks? 20 to 1, pal. Be a long shot. Hawks, let's go. The world meets nobody halfway. Remember that. I don't have a father, sir. The world has always bet against Lincoln Hawks. This guy's nothing. Why'd you leave us? It won't happen again. What my grandson found, I don't care how you do it, do it. But a winner never listens to the odds. Whatever happens, I want you to stay with him. Where would we end up? Together is all I can guarantee. You ain't got a prayer in Vegas. You never had anything, so you have nothing to lose. All I want to do is hurt him, cripple him, get him off the table. All I care about is you. You're my boy, you understand? The world beats nobody halfway. Now is the time to do for yourself. I owe you. Over the top, Dad, over the top. Sylvester Stallone, over the top. But wasn't over the top a hit? I mean, if it, it, I, it must have made money, but I was I always thought that that was a that was a hit for some reason. I think it's I, I only know of it as people watch it because it's terrible. Oh, OK. And it is. Yeah. It is pretty fucking terrible. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, a dad who's a truck driver who's uh, estranged from his son. And then like his wife or his ex-wife dies and he gets his son. And the only way he can. uh like make any money anymore is to get a big rig because he lost his big rig. And the only way you could do that is to win it in this arm wrestling huh. tournament. And it, I mean, it's, it's bad. It uh, is super fun. That was the one thing they brought up is, is Golan and Globus didn't know how to appeal to American audiences. Cause they're like yeah. arm wrestling. Yeah. That, yeah, and and nobody in America cares about arm wrestling. It's it's not right. So they didn't have the pulse on America like they thought they did. 
Uh, and that's where yeah, a lot of their was, trouble it, came as well. Yeah, because they thought they they had figured it out with uh, Break In, because they heard about that uh, other breakdance movie that was coming out. Yeah, and then they were like, "We got to get ours out first, and then we will, you know, become popular on the breakdance yeah. craze." Just like they tried to do against each other with the Lebron right, thing. Right. But uh, like they said, the problem there was they were trying to make the lot of a thing. Right. Like they were trying to make everybody love the Lebron. Right. So yeah, it's they they just went about everything the wrong way. And it was a like this beautiful disaster that accidentally worked for a time. Like like they kept saying there, everybody knew this wasn't gonna last. Uh-huh. But they just didn't know when it was gonna stop. Yeah. You know? So but who who is that guy that was in the those um Indiana Jones ripoff movies? Oh was the, fucking uh, Sharon Stone that Sharon yeah. Stone was in, which is like Richard it's amazing how many like people Richard, Richard Chamberlain, Chamberlain yeah. okay. He he's I just a, can't believe how many famous people got starts with yeah, canon. But it's because they the were crazy woman. enough to give them money to, you know. They gave it they cast Sharon Stone and that's not who he wanted to I cast. I know that was cuz he was saying the stone lady, the yeah. stone lady, but he meant romancing the stone. Yeah. He meant Kathleen. He did Turner. like what I always do when I mix people up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, apparently Sharon Stone was a bitch right from the beginning because you hear stories oh, yeah. about her being hard to work with and she was hard to work with on King Solomon Mines when she was a nobody. Well, you know, she's gorgeous. <laughs> so why? I was wondering if they the fact that like they were pissing in her in her in her bath water and stuff like that. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's fucking was awful. she that bad? Yeah, I guess so. she was. That's fucking that sucks, man. Well, you know, you it's just one of those things you don't fuck with the crew. Like no, crew, this is just a job. I don't see how you how you could like keep your sanity working in an environment where where you've made everyone hate you. Well, that, be you know, it's one of those things some people get off on that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like that's that's why they become a you know that's why they think like they think when you are a famous person, that's one of the perks of the job. You Maybe know? it's part of her basic instinct. To, to ah! oh! I know movies. But, uh, I'm so, so proud of thing, myself. One thing that's interesting though about the the Alan uh, is Alan Quartermain is the Indiana Jones character. So funny. Well, that's what that's part of the basis of the Indiana Jones character is Alan, Alan Quartermain. That those are old stories. Oh, so they yeah. actually used Alan Quartermain. Yeah, he was a, oh, an adventure okay. story like I think it was like pulp novels like the, yeah. you know, like uh, John Carter from our style. And uh that's like sort of the draw of that what what he drew off of to make Indiana Jones uh-huh. was to make his own thing like that. Luke so when they mock you like mockbustered it to do that it's kind of a, the snake eating its own tail almost yeah and they have made they not them but uh mentioned before asylum films has done a very similar model to this with the they figured it out with the dvd market and everything and they made a bunch of alan quartermains uh, oh but they they also do the same thing where they did uh transmorphers uh terminators um the day the earth stopped like every time there's a big movie coming out they for a while there they would make a a mockbuster is what they called them oh wow that's that's what this you know that has like ties into what these guys were doing very clearly yeah but we were talking about um uh chuck norris and it's funny because they they wanted him for his karate you know Uh his karate abilities and everything and so they were like we got him we're gonna put him in this ninja movie. Yeah, and, and cover he his goes, face. He goes, 
fuck you. Yeah. You're not covering my face. Yeah. So they had to go another way and give him something else. But then they still made this ninja movie with somebody else. Yeah. Uh, what Dudikoff? Yeah, that was uh, that yeah. was. Yeah. Which what is he from? What else did he do? Is he... that's that's it? That's what he's known for is the American Ninja. I was just gonna say that was one of the more um, like uh, like like uh, what's the word? I don't know. It kind of made me uh feel bad for the guy when he was talking and he was like he was talking about what what Manahim was saying to him about the movie and he was like oh, yeah. no don't worry don't worry it's gonna be big it's gonna be big you know we'll make yeah, you a big star you're the, yeah you're and the when next when he was big saying star. that that's what he was saying to him and he was yeah and he was and the way he like looked just looked at the camera and was just like when I got American Ninja I stepped it up anything that I had to do being Joe the American Ninja. I really wanted to do well. Even before the movie was finished, it was obvious that Dudikov has the charisma to be on the screen. I remember Menachem saying that he's going to be the next James Dean. I was going to be Superman. There were, there were so many. I was going to do so many different roles. I was Spider-Man at one time. Canon did not pay attention to brand the name Dudikov and to make sure that instead of making smaller and smaller movies, he should make bigger and bigger movies. We will. We will. Don't worry, Michael. No, don't worry. It's only the beginning. It's like you don't know who I am. Right, right, yeah. It's like, like, you're going to be Spider-Man. Like, oh, you're going to be this. Like, yeah, yeah, it was kind of like that was one of the more like uh, harrowing parts of like, you know, careful who you trust. Well, at one point, Cannon had the rights to Captain America and Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Now, did they end up making the Captain America movies that I know of, or they did. were those they made, made the after they bankrupt and sold off? No, they made okay, the so 1991. That yes, that okay. was them. But the funny part was Mahawkman, just uh, recently, I just did The Fly on your guys' podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what he thought Spider Man was. He thought Spider Man was a guy that gradually turned into a spider. He didn't know that he was a superhero. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> So wow he was just buying things he was just buying things man the the some of those mm-hmm. some of those movies are uh like what you saw in this is actually all you need to see uh from them but like that fucking um i think it was the american ninja the one where, where it's the ninja that turns into a woman or where she gets oh yeah that's yeah. A, that thing like the way they're talking about it i'm like go for it what's it called ninja three that's Ninja Three, the one you're talking Ninja about. Ninja Three, yeah, yeah, and like that sounds so awesome, and like it's like it, you know bonkers out of this world. There's a woman, and then she's inhabited by a, a samurai yeah. soldier, you know, spirit, and then there's all this stuff. And so the first time that I watched this uh, documentary, I looked up a bunch of these movies, and that's one that I couldn't even get through. It's not. It's just fucking unwatchable really yeah and like you know there's certain things there's certain bad movies where uh they just you get tired you know right. and like especially if you're watching them by yourself like you're just like okay i get it I'm yeah done. you know right I, gotta, I, gotta, right I can watch anything else right now right um and that one was one where i was like man i wish this was you know like like a troll 2 or you know the room or something like that where like there's something there that you could keep grabbing onto uh-huh. and it, it stays in and those are not that. right wow 
but uh some of them you know cobra is is one that you could do over the top you can get through it it's, cobra it's a lot of fun and i and really terrible. enjoy cobra i really enjoy cobra it's, it's a slasher it's movie. fun it's a it slasher is, movie it's yeah. not an action movie it's a horror movie it's a slasher movie oh okay. it's uh stallone as uh his name is something is jack cobretti or cobra he's a <laughs> he's a detective that's had enough oh. oh god it's it's everything that you think of as like the trope awful over the top uh detective flick yeah is that there's a but there's like it's all about this cult of axe murderers that he's like trying to in in like the gritty streets of la that he's trying to stop that movie is very fun to watch yeah, yeah. that was stallone too uh what is it uh crime is the crime is the disease and cobra is the cure uh that was Stallone too. So Stallone didn't only do over the top and and then peace yeah, out. No, I mean they, yeah, they didn't touch on a lot of stuff. Yeah, they didn't touch on a lot wow. of things that that they did because I mean you know the movie's only an hour and a half or whatever, and they I mean they they, they were going for like twenty years. And they were and sometimes making like fifty films or putting out fifty films a year. Yeah, that, was those real yeah. numbers. Yeah, no, those are real numbers. Yeah, wow. it was back in the olden days where they were just cranking out movies. It's like we don't know what's going to hit, right? So we're just you, the we're just going to throw it against the wall. Break it was a big hit. That would pay for all their other right. Movies. They were just now, looking I, for like I just pulled up. Uh, I just pulled up Golan's uh, IMDb, and uh, under his pr- for producer, he has two hundred and twenty five credits. Wow! As producer, and most of those, let's see, he's got a. Quite a few in the nineties. I don't. What year did uh, did Cannon finally go under? It had to be the late nineties. Yeah, because okay, Death Wish four was ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah, Bronson was still rocking back then. I he mean, did another one after Death that. Wish four, Death or Death Wish five. five. I'm sorry, The Face of Death. It, yeah, Death Wish five was in was in ninety four. So yeah, wow. it was. So and then and then you get into the two thousands and his. Is uh, yeah, from 2000 to 2008, he only did about nine films, but that's still uh, still quite a bit. But yeah, he like so these people, I mean, they made so much shit, but then there's also some fun things in there. That cyborg movie, when I was a kid, that movie was the shit. It was really? that comes on on channel 20 on a Saturday, you're set, you're set. Wow. Well, here's that's what a, happened. Uh, did you watch? How did you guys watch this? I watched it on DVD, and they had some extras. Okay, I, I, I uh, the first time I watched it was on Amazon, and then I, uh, but it was free. So this time I rented it on uh, Amazon, so it didn't yeah, have any extras. But uh, yeah, I was curious because I saw uh, when when you told me about it, you you uh, sent me a picture that you had bought it on DVD, and I was like, oh yeah, I've seen that. So what uh, what extras does it have on it? It has one where they talk about blood sport. The Van Damme, and that's the movie that oh, yeah, came that out. out of the oh, Bloodsport was a canon? Yeah. Oh. And Bloodsport came out right before Cyborg. And what happened with, they shot Bloodsport, and it was terrible. Golem was going to cut Van Damme. But what they did was they brought Van Damme in to help edit the movie because even though, you know, Van Damme couldn't act at that time, he was. Yeah. And, and Van Damme was fucking ripped. I tell you what, man. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you, yeah. we've all seen Bloodsport. I'm sure you've seen Bloodsport. Yeah. I haven't. What? I've seen like clips of it. Okay. But they brought Van Damme in to edit the movie. 
And Van Damme made that movie into what it is. Mm-hmm. And he did the mm-hmm. same thing with Cyborg. They brought Van Damme into re. Yeah, they mentioned that. Yeah. So Van, so you know, I get. I don't know if it was for self-preservation or whatever, but Van Damme saved his own career by re-editing these movies that he made. And and he he wasn't well re-editing the fight scenes, I should say, uh, because they said he had an eye for it. He goes, he knew he knew what looked good on screen. Mm-hmm. Well, he's uh, you know, Van Damme has, uh, yeah, and Van Damme has such an interesting story because like i mean that that's one of the more interesting parts of this documentary that's just like a sea story is like the way van damme was like oh uh, he found out that these guys make movies he found out where they are he went yeah. like and like just started kicking at him yeah then, like, hire him you know and then after that like he makes these movies that are terrible and then he recuts it himself you know and, and he's uh you know made some stuff uh, that's you know questionably good, and some stuff that's awesome. Like one of my favorite Van Damme movies is uh, it's a John Woo film. It was uh, Hard Target. Uh, Hard Target, and it's uh, yeah, it is. He punches a fucking snake in the face. You got <laughs> that movie, but um, you know, and then like then you watch like some of the, he he made a movie about probably about ten years ago now called JCVD where he yeah. plays himself, and it is his acting is insane. He's so good. But you're, that, you're being again, serious. Yeah, right? I'm being a uh, 100% serious. He's great. It, it's the whole movie is that uh, he's a washed up John Claude Van Damme, yeah, you know, a washed up actor making these bad movies. And one day he's going to the bank, oh, so he goes withdrawal, and he gets caught up in a uh bank robbery. And people are like, Save us, you're John Claude Van Damme. And he's like, I know I'm John Claude Van Damme, yeah, I'm not. I'm not, you know, that. So it's meta. But, yeah, it's super meta, and it's great. Wow. But uh, was was Street Fighter a canon film? No, I don't think so. No, no, Remember it wasn't. He was in that. He was the weirdest casting ever. <laughs> the most American character in a video game ever. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll get a guy who can't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> now, they didn't talk the about, they didn't ever. talk too much about um, the, speaking of Americans, uh, or people who weren't American, they didn't talk that much about Masters of the Universe, where oh, uh, Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren was didn't like could barely speak English. Well, they said the thing where where they showed it to Stallone, and Stallone goes, "You gave this guy lines." Yes. Well, they uh, apparently they gave him three tries to say his lines, and then line, yeah, and then after the three (laughs) tries, they were like, "Okay, he's out," uh, and they dubbed it. So when you actually see Masters of the Universe, it's mostly dubbed, but they also like ran out of money so sometimes it's not dubbed it's yeah it's bad dude that's fucking hilarious that's like the uh, that's funny that's the worst way to or worst time to run out of money um well, it's, it's never a good time to run yeah. out, especially when a movie's not done right a movie with special effects at the far end of the universe there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to get out and brought to me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Can you show us the way? No. 
distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. So, um, so, uh, Texas, they, they talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah. Uh, we did an episode on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, um, and I've never seen any of the other ones. And they were talking about it being a comedy. And I had seen that poster of them doing the Breakfast Club mm-hmm. poses, you know. But was that a hit? Was that no. a hit or was that another one of the bad it, canon movies? No. It, it, it it made did, money, but it wasn't Hopper, a hit. Was it? it wasn't. It was not their fault that it wasn't a hit. It was made uh, right. It was made the way Toby Hooper wanted it to be made. But they thought they were getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Toby Hooper was like, I did that movie. Yeah. I want to do this movie. Yeah. And so if you uh, have you ever seen uh, House of a Thousand Corpses? Uh, the, the Rob, Rob Zombie? Zombie? Yeah. Yes, uh, it's it's basically that. Yeah, like, uh, that is more of what that movie is. It's 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 farcical, but also like super gory, gory. It is a horror, but it's not a horror. Yeah. And it's you know, it's just these people going crazy in this house. A little and, bit Evil Dead 2 ish. Uh, not as campy, I guess. But oh, okay. it's uh, it's twisted well, in in its own way. I, I don't know. It's I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. But if. If you love Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you're like, oh, my God, this guy is a genius. He made this incredible artistic movie that is like so scary. So, yeah, that's it. And then you're like, you go to see that. You're like, who? This isn't the same person. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, and they're not even supposed to be. They're very different. Right. But, um, you know, because Toby Hooper at that point had already made a couple other uh, you know, slasher flicks. guys. Uh, well, he hadn't done Poltergeist yet. I don't think I think that was. What Poltergeist was like 87, 86? No, Poltergeist was, was 82 for some reason. Poltergeist was 82. Oh, it was? 82. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, then he must have already done Poltergeist, but he did. Um, Pupil becomes the master. Yeah. Although, did he really? Who? Did he really that's, a bi- that's a big thing, too. Right. About that's true. Yeah. Was... The, he did one called Funhouse that was a, a slasher flick. Mm. That, uh, if you like slasher flicks, I like some of the stuff in it. It's interesting. It's worth a watch if you're into that crap. But it is also crap. And now I don't know if that was canon, but I don't think it was. I, think, I don't think I it think, was uh, either. Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I think Texas Chainsaw Two was the first one with him. But then they they brought him back with Life Force, and that one had a pretty damn big budget. Uh, they did. He did uh, the Mars one uh, Mars. that they got confused. What Mars attacks? What was it called? Mars attacks. No, not Mars attacks. The uh, oh, invaders from was Mars. Was that the name of the? No, invaders from Mars. Invaders, invaders from, Mars, from Mars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, that was one that they got confused with the other movie where they're like, these people are supposed to be ugly. <laughs> Why are they not ugly? Yeah. I, that's one of the things about those guys that I find so interesting is that they were, and, and I'm, you know, I've known people like this and there's times where I am like this, where it's even when they're wrong, they're right. Right. So, like, even though he had the wrong movie and the people were supposed to be ugly and he just thought he was watching a different movie it was like, well, no, this movie should be that. Yeah. Like, I might be, like I'm not wrong. Change it. Right, you know? right. And then you Do, don't change it and they never see it because they're making 50 goddamn movies at the same time. Right. 
So do you think, like, after all the stuff you heard about them, do you think that they were assholes or do you kind of admire, you think they were good guys that were just doing their best but made some missteps? Little uh, column A, little column B. Hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it comes down to, like, these people, it was a business. Um, I don't think that they necessarily broke any laws, quote unquote, or or did any shady stuff. I know that they took a lot of, like hedge fund money to support things, but that just crumbled down on them. Yeah. That wasn't, uh, you know, them, you know, making a movie with the prom. Like they, they thought everything they were doing was going to work. It right. wasn't like they were trying to get a pull a fast one or, you know, like, uh, like the way Uwe Bull will make a movie knowing it will not be a success so that they make more money making a flop sort of producer style. Yeah. Um, like it's not like that. So I think that they were businessmen who really liked film, but they just don't get it. Yeah. You know, and like any like they talk about when, when they would get a big director that they would let it go. The movies turn out good. Yeah. Unless they get involved and then they start cutting things and like they would cut parts where it didn't make sense or they would cut the action, you know, that was too much. Well, what like that, like that uh, Otello movie that they just let that guy do. Yeah. His thing and, and that director was like like loves these guys talking about how grateful he still is to them because nobody was gonna let him make that movie. Have you all seen that movie? No, I haven't. No, he would tell like Elliot Gould that scene where he was telling Elliot Gould how to act. Yeah, yeah. and Elliot Gould called him. Yeah, a that cock was another guy. one. Yeah, he called him a cock. Yeah, yeah. and as we <laughs> said, he thought that Elliot Gould was being you know, really calling him a cocksucker. And apparently where he came from at that time, uh, being gay was what the worst thing you could be. The second day we were working, Golan came up to Elliot and it was a somewhat of a critical scene. It was the point in the movie where Elliot is going to confess to Margot Hemingway that he is in love with her. How'd you like to spend the rest of your life with a, a sloppy diabetic Jew? Someday is going to be a top restaurateur. I love you, sweetheart. After the first rehearsal, Golan goes, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot. No, 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 no. And the whole crew standing there, we're going, oh, boy. And he goes, watch, 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 watch. Margo, you come here. Come here. Come, come to Menachem. Okay, I love you. I love you. You know, and you just sit there and you go, oh, my God, this is insane. We had an enormous fight, an enormous fight. And he closed down the picture for a day or so. Menachem, you know, I, I told him he was a cocksucker, and uh, he took me literally, and I had to, in order to get it going again, I said, oh, Menachem, I apologize for using that kind of language. You're not a cocksucker, okay? But that that's just another window into how little of a pulse he had on American culture. Exactly. Or how exactly. little he understood it, you know? He didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't even, couldn't even grasp the, uh, terminology and the isms and I love stuff. the shot. I've never seen Last American Virgin, but I love how they go, uh, I guess something got lost to translation when after she had an abortion, oh. he walked in with a bag of oranges and a Yeah, tree. dude, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was the best part of the whole documentary was them breaking that part down. Me, me and my wife had a good laugh about that one. Yeah. That was pretty funny. But uh, I've never, so uh, like how how many of these movies have you seen, Scott? Oh, well, I did see The Last American Version. That was one of the first 
sex movies, sex movies I saw. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen all the Death Wish movies. I've seen all the Chuck Norris movies. I've seen the the, the uh, Sylvester yeah. Stallone movies. I've seen Master of the Universe. I've seen uh, Superman Four. The beginning stuff I I hadn't seen, like the the low like the, the low grade porn I hadn't seen. But uh, you know, uh, yeah. uh, American Ninja. Those were the staples growing up for me because uh, these came out in the eighties, right? When I was going to the movies all the time. So I've I've seen most, yeah. and then I've seen yeah. uh, Happy Hooker. I've seen, yeah, I, you know, I've I've, yeah. I've seen those on like late night cable uh, when I was growing up. So I've seen I've, I've seen a majority, and then there was a majority that I've never I never even heard of. Um, but yeah. I so uh, like, the, but the, like the big thing was that they all came out in cinemas. Like they all oh got yeah a wide release. This was before VHS. This was before direct That's video. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, because like I know that like after direct to video, so the like right around like your early eighties with video and the advent of uh, like HBO, uh, that's when Troma and a lot of those other smaller uh, companies that would make movies of a similar quality, but without ever intending to go anywhere but straight to DVD or I'm sorry, straight to video or late night cable, because like you know when HBO first started, they had seven days a week, 24 hours a day that they had to program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have the money to constantly put out every big blockbuster all like and show it all night. So all night long, it would be, you know, you know, you know the toxic Avenger or, you know, any of these other things. And then, you know, when blockbuster opened and they had or all these video stars started opening, and they just had shelves and shelves and shelves. They didn't have all like people seeing everything after it's a new release. They want variety and it's happening again with streaming. You know, you look mm, at Amazon yeah. and there's, you know, 90 percent of the stuff that you look at on Amazon. You're like, I'm who would watch that? There's probably some modern day Ed Wood, uh, Ed Woods out there that yeah. are uploading shit to Amazon that we could go and find. Maybe one day would be cult classics, you know? Yeah, you never know. So, I mean, there's that. Uh, the, the first one that comes to mind is uh, uh, Birdemic. Yeah shock or shock and terror or shock and terror bird so yeah but so like yeah so i didn't i didn't really like even when i watched this uh, documentary the first time i didn't realize that this was you know pre-video and like this was you go to a movie theater to see this right but like i guess you know when did the when did movie theaters like when did they really become chains and like because like now that they're all chains like you have to get your movie in an amc and stuff like that because there's not really any independent film houses out there besides, you know, basically Alamo Draft House, or if you live, you know, somewhere with a four screen theater still. But like before that, they, they weren't these big megaplexes. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Before that, in the 80s, you had your local theater and they would show the, you know, they would show Delta Force and, and they would show all these movies that weren't mainstream movie they'd show a mainstream movie but they would also have all the all the canon movies so yeah i don't know exactly when they became uh when they became chains but i remember going to local theaters uh you know the standalone you know standalone theater and you would go see uh delta force with you know chuck norris and lee marvin wow. now that movie i have seen too that is uh that's a trip yeah, and like they showed you a lot of clips from that. It looks expensive, right? All the <laughs> the tanks and everything like that. Yeah, like they said it costs so much money that they cut the plot. 
It's right, just the action right. sequences. Yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, what else uh, did you want to touch on, Scott? There, who was it? They actually, for a time, they were didn't wasn't it Paramount that they were that, that MGM. Paramount, MGM. I, I what the I like the contrast of of the guy for the guy from MGM just hated him, just like you yeah. know you just you, we had to stop because you were just giving us crap, and then there was where do you think they fall in the you know in the in the universe of of entertainment were they you know did they were they uh, frontliners uh or were they just schlockmeisters putting out crap or did they show us or did they give us blueprint of how the little guy uh, can can succeed or what not to do you know uh where where do they fall in your guys opinion in that universe I mean, I, I I keep putting them, you know, back in the they they clearly were filling a need, you know, just like the, you know, when there was a need for HBO to fill time, when there was a need for uh, VHS stores to fill shelves, when there's a need for you know Netflix and Amazon and all these things to have content, like that's where they fill that that's where they came in with with movie theaters. And with the the movie theaters needed more things to show because without like if if the only thing that movie theaters got were the big movie uh, that came out, then they would only have, you know, everybody would see it once and then they would have nothing. So like it was like, I guess that was where these, you know, it wasn't necessarily that people wanted to see something good. They just wanted something to do. And these some of these movies were fun, some of them not, but they were still something. And so they kind of fill that need. And in the same way of like, you know, B movies of the past and and the Corman uh, era of of movies and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of uh, talented people who got their start or were able to do things that they wouldn't be able to do with a, a bigger budget, you know, so, or with a bigger studio. So I think that, that in, in the schlock that's, that they've made, they did some uh, good stuff for the actual art of film. Even if it wasn't anything they put out, there's a lot of, of talented people that worked on these movies that have then gone on to do other things. And not even, not even people that you know, but just like people who learned how to shoot a film, like learned how to be a gaffer or a, so like, so like there's something to be said about what they what they did and the way that they were su so successful, there was a reason for it beyond them just being, you know, shady businessmen. I guess I guess that's a roundabout way of saying uh, of answering your question. I agree. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with most of what you said there. I I I like. I mean, the biggest point being that, like, yeah, they gave stars to and, and extended careers of a lot of people that no one would ever give a chance to and and they just happen to be the money men that uh and and a passion for making uh, the movies that um that had the work available you know uh and and i i gotta say i got i gotta i admire their i was telling chase i was texting with chase after i saw it and uh and he was like yeah they're a couple assholes right and i was like yeah but i gotta admire the their uh you know their gumption you know i gotta admire the fact that that you know especially the Manahim guy he was just like no let's go we're making this you know a lot of the stuff he was saying about his philosophy of uh you know a lot of people they like to talk they do the talking and they're not making movie what do you do when you talk you 
you know, what are <laughs> yeah. they going? Maybe they're, what are they getting divorced? Uh, they're going on the golf trips. No, I'm making the movies, you know, like when he was saying all that, she was like, I was like, dude, I kind of agree with you, man. Like, what? yeah, what are you doing? Like work, well, work and, I and feel, put out the movie, make I the movie. I feel like it was, and I think they mentioned it a little bit in, um, in the documentary uh, and not to, not with the current connotation, but like this was a, an early uh, predecessor to what became like Miramax and, and Weinstein films and yeah. stuff like that, where it's the, the smaller. Uh, well, someone had said that too yeah. in the credits. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, without, like that's what their their design was now with Miramax and and then Weinstein and some of that kind of stuff like they were trying to put out quality you know? right it was not which just, was the difference yeah that's the difference and uh and having an eye for it where like these guys whether or not they were trying to make crap I I think that they didn't know the difference yeah I don't think they knew the difference between crap and something that was good yeah so they're yeah. like the Ed Wood of of uh, producers well I don't think they knew what as we mentioned before, I don't think they knew what Americans wanted. They thought yeah, they yeah. knew, and that that came through. Do you think they were con men? No, I don't think I don't think it was a con men thing. I, I don't th- I don't think they were either. I think they were trying to do the best they could, the way they knew how. Um, yeah, I think that any lie that you might say that they told, they didn't think it was a lie. I think that they really thought that every single movie they were making was going to be a hit. And that the second it wasn't, it was like, well, we were wrong, but this next one is. And, you know, one after the other, it was like every movie makes the next movie. Yeah. And I don't I don't delusions of grandeur that that helped them uh, do all of this in the first place. You know, like none of this would have gotten done without that kind of delusion of grandeur to even think like, of course, I can go to America and borrow a bunch of money from the banks and just make any movie I want. Like you have to be a little bit off to even get that idea doesn't make you a con man though you know yeah. just kind of makes you a little wacky you know what's that uh that line from ed wood where he's on the phone huh worst movie you ever saw well my next one will be better and that's sort of <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> that's exactly yep. the same yeah yep well what did you what do you think uh, i thoroughly enjoyed the documentary i enjoyed seeing I enjoyed seeing the people that were in it. I really enjoyed, none of them held back. It was like, well, one thing I enjoyed is they all had an impression of him. Everyone who talks about him probably does an impersonation of him. All of us sounded like some very bad road company of Fiddler on the Roof. My impersonation, I realized, is sort of a Jewish Frankenstein. You good, film bad. You can't have your cake on both sides. An actress is an actress. I give him one dollar to like takes his chainsaw too. One dollar. I sue the bastards. Michael Dudikoff is a movie star. I will never stab you in the back. I will stab you in the front. You will know it. Canon Films is, was, and always will be the greatest film company in the world. Zella! You know, you can't go, I'm not real good at being Menachem. Rewind, now. Cut, 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 cut. Yeah, uh, and uh, I have, uh. I've, I've worked for club owners, and, and everybody, I, I know people that everybody has an impression of, and I know people that whenever yeah. somebody talks about them, they talk about them in their voice, doing an impression of them. Yeah. Right. And it was universal. Everybody. Well, I should 90% of the people in that yeah. movie, when they talk, they did an impression of them. 
Yeah. I was right. happy yep. to I was happy to uh know that there was no uh sexual nobody accused them of any sexual misconduct. That was never brought up. No, yeah. Right. I was uh, that right. one I unlike was like the Weinsteins. Yeah. Unlike the Weinsteins, I was happy, but I was very, very happy to hear or not hear that there was uh there was no casting couch, there was no sexual misconduct. Well, and even even the the mistreatment of the actors and stuff, uh most of the time seemed to be coming from the directors. You know, it yeah, wasn't not them. It wasn't yeah. uh them being hands-on, like as they would be hands-on some to places, like where they went and yelled at Elliot Gould, but I think those were the like some of the larger budget ones. Mm-hmm. But uh the uh Michael was it Michael Winner? Yeah, like, Michael he seemed Winter. like he was a piece of shit. Yeah, but but again, not just a women to everybody. To everybody, you know. So, except yeah. Bronson, except Bronson, except Bronson, because <laughs> he couldn't get away with it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this I, I highly, highly recommend this documentary. For I sure. do too. It's same. It's- I didn't know anything about this uh, about Canon Films at all, and it was still highly entertaining, uh, and I found it to be quite informative and fun. So even if you even if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't even know these movies, it's still worth a watch. Yeah, and you really feel like you've seen a lot of them now too, right? Yeah. yeah. And like I said, the ones that I have seen, some of the worst ones that they talk about that are just so obscure and so crazy, it's it's worth it just to see that, and then like you don't need to see the rest of it. If you're like, that sounds nuts, that's good. You're yeah. good. You're you're set. <laughs> well, one thing I remember is Adam West was in the Lady Chatterley's Lover. When you they, they're showing a clip of that, and it's like there's Adam West in Lady Chatterley's Lover. Uh, so you oh, never know. The, the, you never know that, who you're going to uh, see in what movie. The, right. the movie that I want to see that I've not seen is the one with uh, Alec Guinness and uh, or not uh, Peter Cushing and uh, Vincent Price and uh, the House oh, of yeah. Longshadow. They said it was like not a horror; it was kind of a comedy, but like, right, it looks like a like, family horror. Yeah, it looks like those three guys. I mean, those guys are. Uh, horror icons. Like I bet that's a fun movie to watch. It, it got a PG. Ri- is it good, Scott? Even it's with the not PG good, rating? but it's fun. It's it's Peter Cushing, <laughs> Christopher Lee, uh, Vincent Price, and John Carradine. Yeah, and 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 Desi Arnaz. Yeah, Desi Arnaz Jr. Desi Arnaz Jr. is in the movie. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> wow. And, well, the movie is. It's the movie sort of meta. Uh, the the gist of the movie is. Somebody says, somebody tells this writer, you can't write a script in, in two days. And that's all what Canon was about was making movies and you know, making movies as fast as possible. So it's sort of a, like yeah. a little meta thing where it's, um, so yeah. he goes to this haunted, I'm not, I won't, if you guys want to see it, I won't see it, but it's fun and it, it's total camp. And just to see those guys together having fun with each other is is yeah, that's great to see. Yeah, but yeah, that's how yeah, that's like how I feel about things like the Expendables and everything. Where you're like, mm. I'm, I just want to see these guys do something together. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see it three fucking times, but right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a you know, it's sort of a, a victory lap for for them, right? You know, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it, they they can't all be you know, they, it's, every time you get some uh, giant cast like that together, it's not usually something that's going to be anybody's best work. But uh, it's interesting to see, like, I would love to see them all together working on it, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 fascinating that this happened and that these movies are real. And they happened in a time where they were shown in, like, real theaters. Right. You know, I, I want to see that thing. movie, The Apple. 
Oh, I've seen the apple. Wow. That shit. That I forgot about that. Unreal. That shit was nuts. Yeah. And it was said in 19, the distant future of 1994. And the <laughs> yeah. cars have the fucking added on, you know, fucking whatever you call it on it to make the wings on them and shit. That's fucking uh, that movie looks pretty insane. It's a full musical. Yeah, like it is. It is uh, extravagant. It doesn't look as cheap as a lot of their other stuff does. Yeah. It's uh yeah it it really it does have uh it does make you think of Tommy and like Xanadu uh-huh. when you right. watch it but like God it's just fucking it, it makes no sense yeah it's it's nuts yeah but I think deep down they really really wanted to make something great that made money something that people not only liked but the critics liked I think deep down they really yeah. really wanted that. And it never really came around, you know. It, they they never really got that. Well, and you know that's that's partially on them, partially on the uh, the, the problem was they thought it could just happen, you know. And like when you get when you get a movie together, like it, it is, it takes a lot of work to make a movie. It takes a lot of work to make a bad movie. Um, so when you don't have anybody that cares about any of it, it's still, you know, it doesn't work it's hard you know so like you have to care about it to some extent or have a a plot that is followable it has to have relatable character you know there's a lot that goes into it that they just didn't worry about like watching them make up the the plot to a movie uh, like together and be like oh yeah yeah, we got it shoot it yeah it's like that's not a real thing they'll love it right like it's marriage in rome and somebody has to stop the marriage it's like what, who are you making this for? Yeah, and then the part where he's like, he's like, yeah, marriage in Rome or whatever he said. And he goes, oh, good name. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, good name. Okay, yeah, that's the name. And they were like, that's the name. I was like, wow, that's really that was y'all's process, huh? Okay. I think you were talking about Chase. You were talking about good, 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 bad movies and bad, bad movies. And I think a good, bad movie is what yeah. you were talking about. It's people actually cared what they were doing. They didn't know what they were yeah. doing. But they cared about what they're doing. A bad, bad movie is just somebody going through the motions. Stand here. We're going to shoot that. All right. We're going to shoot that. And we're done. That's the difference between a good, good movie and a bad, bad movie. Yeah. I mean, like, just watch anything Uwe Bull makes. And you're like, this is shit. This is pure shit. These aren't fun, (laughs) bad. Anybody that says they're fun, bad is, you know, I don't know what they're doing, but it's not. They're not fun, bad. They're just bad, bad. Like they're they're flat. Everything doesn't that you don't care. There's no feeling in it. And then you watch like you know a troll two where it is a disaster of a movie, but you could feel some heart in it somewhere, yeah. even if the plot doesn't make sense. I don't know. It's weird. It's it's something you. It's not tangible, and there's not a way to put your finger on it. But uh, it's it's just different. They it really it really does show. You know, you want to make a you and, and you you can spend millions of dollars on a movie, but if nobody really cares about it, you just get stealth. Yeah, you know, Academy Award-winning Jamie Foxx. <laughs> he makes this yeah. movie, and it's it's just a forgettable movie. Yeah. that you know had a, a huge budget and a real script and a real director and you know Academy Award-winning actors in it, and it is it, like nothing. Yeah, like, it's like whatever. Yeah, giant so. nothing of a movie. That's why I'm always weary about watching something. So I don't want to waste two hours of my life. I could have been doing anything else. <laughs> But you'd just be watching something else. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Any last words on the? So you guys both would recommend this uh, to to people? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it, it costs three bucks to rent on Amazon right now. 
rent it or you know i'm sure the dvd is not too much more than that and you can buy it so it's it's definitely worth it agreed yeah i agree as well i i really enjoyed it and as bryce said you don't need to know a lot about canon movies uh, to enjoy this movie just to get the gist of it and uh that's it this has been another uh burt reynolds and charles bronson podcast i want to thank my guests uh chase and bryce uh, once again give me a shout out to all uh to your podcast and any links to you guys um, yeah, so uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at The Movie Gap. We also release a video version of our podcast every week on YouTube. Uh, so join us. We're on you know, iTunes. We're on everything uh, that you can get your uh, podcasts on. Uh, and uh, Scott, we have an episode with you coming up over the fly. Yeah. Uh, as well as uh, some of the other episodes that you've done with us. And uh, one that we have not recorded yet, but it's gonna, we're, we, it's on the books. Is we are going to do uh, last Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with you and uh, two of your past guests on another episode or on your other podcast. Uh, with uh, Ed and Miguel are going to join us all on that with you, so that'll be fun. That's going to be a really fun, uh, pod. big five-person podcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, but that's uh, I think that's everything. Did I touch on everything, Bryce? I think you got it all. Yes. Jody uh, Seabody in the Worlds. Oh, yeah. Go go stream Jody Seabody in the Worlds uh, on iTunes and Spotify, uh, wherever, wherever. Yep. Wherever you can. Good All stuff. right. That's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for joining me and thank everybody for listening. And we will see you next thank time. You. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, No matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. Three murders, four rapes, nine acts of random violence. This isn't a neighborhood, it's a war. But there is one way, one man who won't be pushed, Charles Bronson. What's the problem? Now you're going to die. It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante, with one important difference. You're going to work for me. People have got to start to fight back and hard. I sent them a message. That's him. I'll take care of him. And now, he's in the middle of a war. See what you've done? You got me mad. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. His. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3. Bronson's back in New York. Bringing justice to the streets. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3.